Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, Serialites. Hey, Grim Shea here. Before we start the show, I just had a quick timely announcement. Uh, if anybody out there is in the Los Angeles area, this Thursday, May the 29th, 2014, our good friends at DevastatorPublishing.com are putting on Stat Attack, a roundtable comedy presentation for free at the Comedy Central Theater in Los Angeles. If you brave traffic and make it in there, you will be treated to a comedic event of mildly epic proportions. We're in a panel moderated by up to and including such comedic talents as James Urbaniak and Dana Snyder. We'll decide what one of five scientific proposals merit national funding or maybe a punchline. For more details, go ahead and check out our site at mattypradio.com. Uh, but I think we made you wait long enough. Are you ready for the show? I can't hear you. I mean, like, literally, this this is radio. Come on, dummy. Everybody, thanks for joining us on Matty P Presents Saturday Morning Serial. I'm Grim Shea. Joining me, as always, is Marky. Say hi, Marky. Hello, everybody. And today, we're talking about showrunners. What the hell's a showrunner? I'm so glad you asked. Let me, let me spend uh, the next couple hours explaining that. <laughs> is it going to take that long? <laughs> no, I don't think it will. It's If you don't know, showrunners are uh, they're basically like, uh, like lead writers, uh-huh. uh, creative um management for uh any given television show uh you know some examples would be like you know Stephen Bochco or Stephen J Cannell or probably a lot of Steves out there or or you know go to take it all the way back uh-huh. here's here's a good example remember the Dick Van Dyke show oh yeah uh Dick Van Dyke on that show played Rob Petrie uh-huh. Okay. And Rob Petrie's job was the showrunner right. for Carl Reiner's character. That's right. So that was a show about a showrunner. And who was the showrunner for that show? See, I'm glad I'm glad you asked me that because in reality, the showrunner for the Dick Van Dyke show in in real life was Carl Reiner. Okay. So you just blew my mind. Who played a guy with his own show on that show, which was show run by Rob Petrie, played by Dick Van Dyke, all inside of the Dick Van Dyke show world. So, okay, so since the beginning of television time. Or before. Or before. so inflective. It, yeah, it could have been forever. <laughs> there has been a showrunner. Mm-hmm. And yep. sometimes showrunners are in the show. Yes, they are. Uh, you know, good example, 30 Rock. 
a show about a showrunner starring the actual show showrunner, uh, the very talented Miss Tina Fey. It didn't even occur to me that she's a showrunner in that show. Oh, yes. Yeah. And she's actually a showrunner of that show that is about a show. Ah. You know, the more we talk about it, the more I think that would have been a better analogy. This Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> yeah, who's Dick know, Van Dyke? <laughs> Nick at night stretch I went on there. No, well, I think, well, I think we're, you know, we're definitely trying to learn a little something about the history of television here. Yeah. Right? And we should if we're going to be praying to that mindless box for the rest <laughs> of our lives. But now with this, uh, with this new scripted golden age of, of television and all, the, the, uh, the idea of a showrunner is becoming more popular but they're so important to yeah. television, but it's still kind of ambiguous in most people's minds, and it's not even an official position, that somebody out there actually said, screw this, I'm going to make a documentary specifically about this phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. Well, they actually had a – there was a panel. They had teamed up with um, a TV Guide uh, at uh, WonderCon. Oh, and they And they promoted uh, this film. Uh, by our good friend Daz Doyle. Oh, Daz uh, Doyle. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a movie, it's a documentary, um, strictly about a showrunner. Which you're which you are correct. There's not really an official, you know, if you go on IMDb, you don't yeah, see. There's no there's no credit at the end right. of any show saying showrunner. Right. It's usually one of the executive producers or what. It's buried in there, but everyone everyone on set knows it. And you can tell when a showrunner changes as a as a fan because something about the show absolutely changes tone or something, and it's so it's it's hard to define, but it's incredibly important. And it it is it is hard to define, but quite noticeable. Exactly right. Yeah. And and this thing goes all the way back to Dick Van Dyke. That's right. You know, I mean, that's a long time. Uh, or 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 before. or before. Yeah, there was not much before. I mean, <laughs> I'm like two years. I, mean, I don't know. So, so yeah, we have this. Okay, so uh, why don't we play the trailer for this? Yeah, for this film? yeah. I want to. I want to hear the trailer for this. Let's okay. let's check that out. Everybody, everybody, strap in and listen. It'll get you excited. When I started off at college, I was an economics major, and then I discovered playwriting. So I ended up being a joint theater and economics major, and and people always thought that was the strangest major. And what are you going to do with that? It turns out, show running. <laughs> value put on a singular voice. Showrunners were kind of invisible up until now, up until we branded ourselves. I think attending Comic-Con is extremely important. Writers are out in the forefront now, just like actors and directors. And you really need to not only promote your show, you need to represent your show. This is a little bit like a rock concert for a showrunner. The burnout rate for showrunners is 100%. 100% of the people who do this stop by their mid to late 50s, whether in success or failure. Look at how nice he looks, too. If you're doing it correctly, everyone that you've come into contact with, actors, the other writers, the other producers, the network, the studio, if you know that things are going well on your show, if everybody's just a little annoyed with you. I try not to get caught up in ratings, but but I do read other people's ratings. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, this, now here's this is full of spoilers. I'm a little hesitant to speak. And don't 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 hesitate. Go ahead. I've probably spoken out against 
the networks two or three times in my career. And yet now I, I find that I'm this uh, hothead maverick, which is amazing because, you know, I'm afraid of four-year-olds. Anytime I've been standing on a set where we're at some crisis, and like, okay, we got to do this and this and this, and people are like this, and I'll say, but we're not curing cancer here, guys. This is a TV show. Yeah, that was cool. I'm 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 excited to see that. Yeah, uh, for those of you that can't watch, well, you guys can all go to YouTube. Uh, just you know, search for showrunners. You guys can see that trailer. You can go to our site, MaddiePRadio.com. We're gonna have it up for you there too. Uh, but for those of you that are just listening today, uh, yeah, some of the voices you heard there were Joss Whedon and J.J. Uh, Abrams. J.J. Abrams. Abrams. Mm-hmm. I'm famous for that. Messing uh-huh. that up. Uh, and I love what he's doing. My God, Star Wars would be awesome. Um, but yeah, but we actually had a chance to uh, to sit down. Yeah, with... we talked with uh, with Des Doyle, who was uh, you know putting all his work into doing this mm-hmm. uh, as his first documentary feature, and he bit off quite a bit for a, for a man out in Ireland. Yeah. Oh, did I mention he's Irish? Oh yeah, not well, even American. He came all the way over to L.A. from Ireland to do this to do a show about American television. That's right. <laughs> And and then somehow trying to uh, work an international call with him completely brought down our network, and the poor man had to call in on his own dime. So with with no further ado, let's let's hear uh, Des Doyle actually explain to us all what a showrunner is. We owe him that much. Thank you, Des. Meanwhile, all right, joining us now, Des Doyle. All the way from Ireland, Hello. calling us on his own dime. <laughs> God bless you, Des. Sorry about all the technical problems. Uh, the things global filmmakers have to do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm Grim Shea, by the way. Joining me, of course, is Mark E. Hello. Uh, oh, nice and you guys. Oh, thank you. And, and again, and again, I want to reiterate, this is, this is on Dez's dime, calling us in. All of our usual stuff has failed, <laughs> and, and he's such a gentleman. He's willing to do this. So we're going to make this short and sweet. We're going to get right to the point. Uh, Dez is uh, in, the, in the process of shopping around a finished documentary based on showrunners. Mm-hmm. And I could spend a few minutes fumbling around with a good definition for showrunners for people who don't know what those are. But I bet you, Des, would be the man to do that better. Um, showrunner is basically um, the person who has the, the prime creative and production control over a TV show. Um, they're normally the person who's created the show, but not always. Um, they're almost always the head writer on the show, and they're the person where the book kind of stops there in terms of delivering the show creatively and uh, on budget and on time for the network and the studio each week. So it's uh, it's it's not an easy job by any stretch of the imagination. It it doesn't sound easy, and <laughs> it even makes me what well well because I know it's not an actual title either. You never see at the end of a, a television show no. showrunner is. So is this no, like a it, term it, of it, endearment? No, it, it's it's kind of an industry term that that was coined. Uh, well, the, different people claim who who kind of originally coined it back in the day, but it's been around for about twenty years or so. But it's really only in kind of in the last maybe ten years or so that it's really come into quite common parlance 
in the sense that every time anybody's writing an article about a show these days, they refer to whoever is involved in running the show as the showrunner. The, the screen credit that you will see is executive producer, but that can also be slightly confusing because there can be a couple of different executive producers. But it's normally the, the last name that you see before, before you go into the, the, the written and directed by credit that, that, that is the most important one. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's um, it, 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 one of the reasons that we wanted to make the film, actually, is still it can still be a little confusing about who showrunners are, what they actually do, even for fans who, who kind of might be, you know, quite diehard about a show and know quite a lot about it and read a lot about it. Um, sometimes it can still be a little confusing. And, and, and the pecking order in, in, in the writer's room and what goes on behind the show can be a little confusing. So hopefully after watching the film, everybody will be illuminated. We'll, we'll know even more about how this television works. As if, as if we haven't learned enough, but this is, you know, because it is interesting. Uh, it's obviously not a new concept, but you're right. In the last ten years or so, I think maybe since uh, X Files and 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 all that in the late nineties. Yeah, I, I, I think certain shows, and I'm certainly like Buffy would be a huge example when, when there was a particular kind of cult of interest that grew up around that show that was kind of timed with you know, what was going on uh, in the Internet at that point in time as well, where people started paying a great deal of attention to who was actually writing the episodes and who was the kind of the voice of the vision behind the show, if you like. But there have been, there have been showrunners, as long as people have been making television, um, a lot of people would credit Rod Serling from the original Twilight Zone as one of the, the first kind of key examples of a showrunner, where somebody's particular vision for a show was, was so ingrained in, in, in every element of it. And, 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 of course, Gene Roddenberry with Star Trek as well. Um, and then all through the 70s when you had people like Quinn Martin doing shows like Streets of San Francisco and Canon and stuff. Um, so they've always been there, but they haven't had the, um, the level of devout fan interest and, and, and um, insatiable social media that, that, that we currently have surrounding television. Not to, uh, to just give a breakdown and a list of their duties, but if you could sum up like the importance of the showrunner to the show itself. Well, generally speaking, as I say, because most of the time there are also the guys who created the show, the show doesn't actually exist without them. And even if they are someone that the network has brought in to run the show, I would still argue that the show doesn't exist without them because every key creative decision has to be signed off on by them. Um, so, you know, where, where are you going story-wise, what's happening with characters from episode to episode, who lives, who dies, and the when and the why of everything. At the end of the day, they've made the final decision. Obviously, there's a whole team of writers working with them that, that are contributing hugely as well, but they're making the final decisions with the approval of the network and the studio, hopefully, as well, um, to, to decide w which way the show goes. So... That's generally also why they tend to get an awful lot of hate and flack uh, online and on Twitter as well, because you know people, rightly in some cases and wrongly in others, decide you're, you're the guy who's to blame for, for my deep-seated unhappiness with where this show is going. Mm. Well, yeah, they are. They are literally on the front lines for behind the scenes. Yeah, they are, and, and, and more so now than ever in a way, because there's uh, you know a lot of the guys at this point in time. It's a, I had a conversation with Carl Killen a while ago where he was saying that, that it's, we're a very short period of time away from the point where 
networks and studios will almost insist in a show in his contract that you must be online, you must tweet, you must have a Facebook page, you must interact um, to promote the show as much as you possibly can. I mean, a lot of them are doing it anyways because there's a degree of value in it and you can build up that immediate kind of sense of feedback and community with an audience. But it also, from their own personal points of view, it kind of helps with, you know, promoting themselves as, as an entity, as, as a writer, as a producer, um, and helps them stand out from the crowd a little bit. You know, if, if you've got um, one or two million people who are going to show up for any show that you do, no matter what you do or where you do it, um, you know, that, that can be quite appealing to a network if you're trying to sell an idea. Mm. That's and 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 so so over the last ten years, I, I agree. We have seen a lot of those personalities, and then so so that's that's what a showrunner is. Now let's talk about some of the who's because you have got a nerd's cornucopia of dream interviews in this documentary. Yeah, it's a big of a movie. <laughs> oh, oh, it is. I'm okay. Just just to list a few of the very bright stars, you've got Joss Whedon, you've got Ronald Moore, you've got. Uh, Terrence Winter, J.J. Abrams, J.J. Abrams. You've got uh, Damon Lindelof. I mean, these are these are people who Jonathan Nolan who define uh, show running. Uh, at the same time, I don't want to. I'm hoping we get some interesting story out of this because I don't mean this critically. Are there, there are some notable absences. You know, speaking of like yeah. the. Uh, the personality of show running. Uh, Vince Gilligan of Breaking Bad recently got his own little uh, cameo, well, guest spot on Community, not even playing himself, <laughs> just out of nerd love. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things that kind of happened. Um, first of all, um, not everyone that we asked to take part said yes. There's absolutely no obligation on them to do that. Um, but the, the the bigger thing and, and the sadder thing, if you like, from my point of view, is a lot of people that we did ask did say yes, and we just couldn't make the schedules work. Um, one of the things that uh, I think will become very apparent when you watch the film is these guys have very, very little time available to do things because their day is, is very full with a multitude of other things to be doing. And because we were quite a little low-budget dark and we only had kind of limited blocks in which we could film, trying to line up our schedules with their availability became one of the most challenging things while we were doing the film. Um, so people, we did approach Vince, and Vince said yes and wanted to do it, but we, we just couldn't make that schedule work, unfortunately. Um, same thing happened with David Benioff and, and Dan Weiss from Game of Thrones. Um, it's actually they actually spend very little time physically in the U.S. these days with with the way that show is produced. So uh, unfortunately, um, we didn't get everybody that we wanted for a, a number of different reasons. Um, but hopefully, there are 22 guys in the film there, uh, some of whom you've listed there as well. And I think I think hopefully there's more than enough there for for people to be to be interested in, in checking the film out. I hope so. Anyway. Oh yeah, there's there's a there's a ton of stuff there for us. Um, uh, I I actually this is Marky here. Um, I actually had the chance to attend your panel at WonderCon. Was that 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 was that was you, right? That that did that uh, showrunners panel. Yeah. We, well, we we did it in, in conjunction with the TV Guide magazine. Oh, that's right. That's right. 
because yeah, I was, I um, noticed that the, um, Chris Carter was there, but he seems to be missing from from the credits for your film. And um, you know, can you just kind of talk about because uh, we we kind of think that that's that's where the showrunner really kind of became a personality, like on its own, is with Chris Carter. Can you kind of speak to that uh, to that point to that moment in like um, in history where the showrunner became onto itself a player in Hollywood, like a real personality? Uh, you know, Josh Whedon, J.J. Uh, Abrams. You know, they they are in charge of like the major Hollywood properties now, and these guys were showrunners. But it all you know in the modern uh, era, it seems like it started with Chris Carter. Can you kind of talk about you know what did he bring? Uh, to to the fold that was missing before. Um, there's a couple of things. I, I, I think I should clarify just in, in relation to the to, to the panel. That was a mix of guests between people that TV got invited and people that are in the film. So unfortunately, Chris isn't in the film. Um, but in relation to his stature and and one of the big thrills of actually doing that panel for me because I mean, I mean one of the main reasons I did the film is I'm a total TV geek and, and, and narrative of epic proportions myself so it was a, a, an amazing opportunity to actually get to, to meet him and, and talk to him a little bit about both the X-Files and, and the new show that he's doing the after but I mean, Chris Carter set out with an agenda if you like that was quite different for, for television when, when he started to do the X-Files they wanted to make a movie of the week every week Mm-hmm. And they wanted to try and tell a very complicated, serialized, ongoing story. And, and is, for me, it's like one of the first shows that really introduced that idea of, of the kind of the mythology in storytelling across like a number of years on, on, on television, where you have quite a complicated backstory that's also running with, if you like, the more upfront procedural elements that were also there in the X Files. And they were very clever in the way they managed that, for the most part, over the run of the series. Um, but Chris became inextricably, inextricably linked with the show in the sense that his DNA is all over it. Um, and he was incredibly smart in the writers that he chose to surround himself. I mean, people like Vince Gilligan, um, uh, who, who wrote so many episodes on the show, and Frank Spotnitz and so many other people who have gone on to become showrunners themselves. And, and, and that's something similar to the, one of the key abilities for me for a showrunner as well is the ability to actually choose the writers that write with you. Um, the guys don't, most of the guys don't like to say the writers who work for them, but the writers who write with, with them. And, and Joss has that similar ability, and, and JJ, um, where you almost have like schools of writers that have come up on these shows, on the X-Files and on Buffy and whatever, and a lot of these people have then gone on to become showrunners themselves. And, and, and I, 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 I do think that's a really interesting uh, kind of segment that we do kind of talk about a little bit in the film. But Chris Carter, yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody would take their hats off to the X-Files at one point in time and, and say you can put a marker on that and say that's where U.S. television drama really shifted gears yeah. quite noticeably, you know? Absolutely. I hope and that makes sense as an answer. <laughs> you know, and you know what? I mean, we can go on and on and on about Chris Carter and kind of what it meant. I mean, this was, you know, um, you know this was obviously – before the internet, really, it was before you know TiVo, yeah. definitely. You know where you know if but, 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 if, but, but if I was at home on Friday, right, yeah. right, you know, 
because uh, I mean, I, I was reading like you know, Starlog or Starburst or whatever magazine I get my hands on. There was always something about the X Files and upcoming episodes and what was going on, and it was always talking about Chris Carter. And so, yes, for, for me, I mean, I mean, like I say, there, were, there are showrunners that you can associate with shows previously, like um, Stephen J. Cannell and, and, and those adventure shows, or Donald Belisario and Knight Rider and whatever. But not, Chris Carter really did. Like I say, start making movies of the week. Um, I always remember. I, I think the episode is Dodd Calm with the submarine breaking through the ice, and and I always remember watching that and kind of going, "Wow, this 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 is kind of mind blowing." I'm, I'm done. I'm watching this on television. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, I like I say, I take my hat off to Chris, and, and it's a fantastic achievement. I believe that. I mean, just from memory, I think that's like the season five premiere was when that submarine popped through but i'm just i'm totally taking a shot at what season <laughs> but uh yeah that that was just a major moment um and i yeah, cannot agree with um, you more <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah i have to say just briefly we when we were at new york comic-con last year um it was the 20th anniversary for the x-files and i i i briefly got to meet david Duchovny and julian anderson which was a huge thrill for me as well but the panel they did is one of the most hysterical things I've ever seen. Like the, those two people have turned into like a, a comedy double act of epic proportions, and they did a five-minute uh, person in the audience asked them to do five minutes of phone sex with Mulder and Scully, which really <laughs> should be released on a DVD somewhere because it's just hysterical. This is the first that I've even heard of this. I, I actually had a, uh, here at uh, Comic Con last year. I I got to attend. It was. It was the Dark Horse panel, um, and they no, it was the IDW panel, and they actually got the comments. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah, and you know, Jillian uh, Anderson was there, and you know, I, I just couldn't get over how you know she just seems to just be looking better and better every you know every year, you know. I, and I how, know. I I, I think yeah. maybe there was some alien technology that she's employed somewhere along the line <laughs> to looking as good as she does. Yeah, um, and you know, and it's just and it, it's just it's just filled with. Um, that that whole room had such a um, a a palpable energy to it. Uh, it was amazing just to be a part of it, and it's it's really just a it's it's kind of a it's a it's a much bigger family. A a X Files family is bigger than a Firefly family because at the time, you know, it was it like it it ran for so long, and and so many people loved it, and they were active out there. Um, you know, taping it on their VHSs and, and, and all this. And so we have just yearned to that particular thing, and there's so many of us, uh, and it's great to have that, that like, outlet. Um, so No, it, it is. I mean, there, there, there's a huge amount of love in, in, in that room at New York Comic Con um, for them, and, and a huge love back, you know. And it's uh, what kind of really blew me away when I just had a, a brief conversation with the two of them was, like, they really do love the show still and have a huge amount of respect for it, you know, and, and, and they do desperately want to do a third X-Files movie if anybody will let them do it, um, which I'm, I'm still kind of holding out hope for. But, um, yeah, it, it's, um, it's phenomenal that 20 years later, and it, it goes to speak to, like, you know, how much love and dedication people can have for TV shows and how characters can really become, like, you know, friends and, and people that you go on a journey with over a number of years and, there's still new people finding the X-Files all the time in, in the same way that there's people finding Buffy or Firefly or, or any show that's out there at the moment. I mean, Netflix is really, you know, it's changing everything in, in many ways in relation to television, not just how television is made and programmed, but 
also how it's absorbed and the effect that it's having uh, on people. Um, so yeah, um, but but I, I I can definitely tell that you were you were a dedicated X file for sure. <laughs> oh, I have my bona fides, I guess yes. you could say. An X file file, no doubt. <laughs> um, I uh, have. I have one final question for him, though, um, uh, and it's it's basically what is it about the showrunner that uh, that makes them perfect to handle Hollywood's biggest properties? You know, you have uh, JJ with Star Wars now; he just got through with Star Trek. Joss Whedon is you know biggest movie of all time with the Avengers. Uh, you know, and and they cut their teeth being a showrunner. Can you kind of touch on that? You know, uh, why is it that they appear to be the next big thing in Hollywood film. Um, I, th- I, I think there's a couple of things in that. Um, first of all, a huge part of it for the two people specifically that you mentioned there, JJ and Joss, is um, they were huge fans of the material they were working with. I mean, JJ is a diehard Star Wars fan. Um, Joss has been a huge um, comic book fan his whole life. Um, but one of the things that I think being a showrunner teaches you, which is quite useful when when you move over into trying to direct features, is all those multi-hyphenate tasks that you have to do as a showrunner. So you're not just a writer, you're also a producer. You're in the editing room all the time. Um, you're on set a lot of the time. You're dealing with directors a lot of the time. Um, so your, your knowledge base becomes very wide, and, and you become very good at learning how to deliver things on a certain budget in a certain time frame. Um, I've spoken to one or two guys who who kind of direct television on a regular basis, and they've said that they think that every feature director um, should start should direct some television at some point in time to be under that kind of pressure. You you have between seven and eight days to deliver an episode of, of whatever number of pages. You must make your day. There is no fallback position. If you if you don't make the day, you're costing the production 120 to 150 thousand dollars, or more, de- depending on what the budget is per episode. So uh, skills like that, I think, are, are very very useful when you try and shift gears up. Um, but you do have to be a very talented writer and a very talented director. Um, I don't I don't know if necessarily every showrunner would successfully make that jump, but I know an awful lot of them want to. Um, even in the film, um, one or two of the show owners speak about how the, the J.J. Abrams model, if you like, is something that they would very much aspire to, where you can kind of be in a position that you can write and direct feature films, you can produce multiple, uh, produce and co-create multiple shows on television at the same time. So you've got an awful lot of kind of um, irons in the fire simultaneously. Um, but, it, but it's a big ask, and, and you know... Um, I, I, I wonder sometimes, JJ, when I spoke to him off camera, it was kind of saying like the, the everything that he says yes to takes another day or whatever out of his life, away from his family, and, and there's an associated cost there that sometimes people don't think about. But at the same time, there are things that he just can't say no to because he's such a fan himself. I think Joss yeah. is maybe in, in a similar position in some ways as well, but... Um, for sure, the Star Wars Episode Seven and Avengers: Age of Ultron are two of the films that I'm most looking forward to at this point in time. And I, I would not be at all surprised if there are one or two showrunners who, who are, 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 you know, getting to a certain level out there now at the moment, who, who may well follow in those footsteps. Yeah. Well, I think, Sorry, I think it should also. Uh, but 
No, it was, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it should also be mentioned that there, you're seeing the exact reverse as well quite a bit. I mean, you've got, I, I just finished watching uh, the first ser- series of uh, Top of the Lake from BBC, and that's Jane Campion, Jane Com- who spent Jane years Campion, yeah. as an independent filmmaker, mm-hmm. really you know, cut her teeth actually making movies, and now she's doing TV. Uh, you've got David Fincher uh, yeah. doing House of Cards on Netflix. Yeah. Um, no, uh, uh, there, there absolutely, absolutely is. Um, and, uh, whatever about directors, especially I think with writers and actors, there, there is a, um, a much greater interest in what's happening in television at the moment because a, lo- a lot of feature writers, uh, I remember Andrew Marlowe saying this to me as well, there's a twofold thing. Um, one, you can spend three years of your life working on a feature script and basically you get a weekend out of it. The movie opens over a weekend. There's a lot of publicity and promo and stuff and whatever for it. And then it's kind of over. And then the whole process starts again. It's another three years of your life. Whereas when he moved into television, he was in a position to have what he described as an extended conversation with the culture, which I think is a really interesting Mm -hmm. concept. And it allows you to, first of all, it's a much faster process. You know, um, Kurt, Kurt Sutter, who, who runs Sons of Anarchy, says in the film, you know, he can write a script on Monday, film it on Tuesday, cut it on Wednesday, and it's on air on Friday if, if he wants to do that. Um, and I think a lot of writers find that idea very interesting and very exciting, and the idea that you can develop characters over an extended period of time and, and stories and stuff is very appealing to people. And also... The, the quality, because there is a real genuine golden age of television going on at the moment. I mean, there, there are too many good shows on the air almost at the moment. I'm, I'm struggling to find the time to watch everything. I'm, uh, I'm trying to keep up with Fargo at the moment, which I think is just fantastic. I, I, I don't know if you guys are watching it, but, um, uh, you know, that, I, I think that's one of the main reasons that, that writers have come, and because the writing has become so good, that's why the actors have come and you're getting Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson doing something like True Detective, um, which, again, was just a spectacular show and, and, again, something that looked like it was a mini-movie of the week every week. Yeah, yeah, and yet something that you couldn't have found in the theaters. Right. No, no exactly. one's going to put up with a six-hour movie. Yeah. No, because, yet, you know, I mean, a, a lot of the executives, a lot of the studios are very nervous about anything. If it's not a reboot or a, re- or a reboot or a reimagining or a rebranding or, or or something that they think that, that there's some level of awareness in already, they're very slow to take a risk. Um, and that can get very frustrating for writers and directors who who, who want to take risks. Um, so do, do you think maybe there's a connection there then between, uh, you know, I think it was uh, in the 90s around the, around the X-Files time, the beginning of the new golden age of Hollywood, when, uh, of television, when Hollywood started going back to the well. They started doing the Brady Bunch movies, and they, they really did reboots and remakes. And now it's a standard, but I think it was around that time when they just got so scared of new ideas. Uh, yeah, I, I think there is definitely a synchronicity between if you like, the, the, the rise in quality on television and, and a degree of the decline in quality in, in, in feature writing. Um, and I think, you know, there's an awful lot of feature writers that have moved into television in the last while. And there's, there's, there's also a lot more opportunity there as well because more and more and more options are opening up for people looking for uh, dramas to put on. I mean, when, when you're in a position where Amazon and Xbox and everybody is, is trying to put on TV drama, you know, if you've got a good idea, you've actually got a very good shot of getting it made at this point in time. Um, whereas 
I would say almost the exact reverse is probably true uh, true in features at the moment, unfortunately. Well, uh, I, I still say we're kind of winning here. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. TV fan, you're definitely winning, yes. I, 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 have, I have only seen one episode of Game of Thrones yet, right? I mean, that's how behind I am. You know, as far as uh, there's just so many great TV shows. And, you know, uh, whenever someone asks me, oh, you know, how how could you live without seeing it? You know, I, and I have said this line a hundred times, but it's just, you know, I'm just not seeing other shows right now. You know, I'm kind of committed to these other ones. I don't have time, you know, and it's um, and no, it's, uh, the, the, the timing thing is, is very difficult. I mean, at one point. At one point last year, I was trying to watch, watch 48 shows simultaneously, and, and, and <laughs> it actually starts to become a bit of a job to, to try and do that. Um, the, the Game of Thrones one, uh, God bless you if you can do that, but I, I just find it's actually impossible to go near the Internet unless you're watching it as it's airing because there's, there's just so many spoilers and stuff out there the minute an episode airs. Um, but, uh, yeah, it... it, it People are definitely, I think, absolutely spoiled for so many good shows on the air at the moment, um, and and the, the quality of writing is just some of it's just absolutely phenomenal on television. So, you know, it's it, it's been great to in making the film to, to get the opportunity to, to talk to a lot of guys and kind of talk a little bit about the the writing process and where the ideas for the shows came from and how much of themselves is invested in the shows a little bit. Um, so. Um, yeah, ho- ho- again, hopefully people um, will enjoy enjoy that aspect of the film when they get to see it. Well, yeah, I mean, we're we are grateful that that this movie is going to exist, and that you know, and that people are learning about this very important role, uh, you know, because it, it is literally shaping, you know, our pop culture now, you know, and I guess it it kind of always was. But now with, you know, with these, with the Josh Whedons and, 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 uh, and all that, it's a different level now. And we've, we've come a long way from Rob Petrie on the Dick Van Dyke show. <laughs> exactly. and, and, and Canal and Dick Wolf, and they handed the baton off, and now television is better for this, uh, exactly. this newer generation. Of, yeah. I don't know if they have more passion or more freedom, but whatever it is, it's working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, although in, in fairness to Dick Wolf, he's still kicking with uh, Chicago Fire and Chicago PD. But, um, yeah, it's um, like, like I say, there is a genuine kind of golden age going on at the moment, and uh, um, it, it can be very difficult to to, um, to try and keep on top of everything, but I, I, I am doing my best. I, I, I um not that, not like I say, not like it's a job. I, I mean, I, there's nothing I love more than watching TV, TV and especially good TV. But um, for, 48 shows is is just unmanageable, and I am going to have to try and be a little bit more creative in the way I watch television. I think from this point on. And I imagine it was not easy staying caught up on television while you were making this movie. Uh-huh. I know it was a couple years there. Uh, speaking of the movie, w- when can we see it? What are we waiting for? When 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 can I show run my own showrunner show? <laughs> um, I, I, okay, well at the moment we are we're trying to work out the plans for, for the release. There, there's a there's a couple of different um, entities that we're partnered with that are helping us do that. For me, it, it's kind of like because it's basically four years of blood, sweat, and tears, and 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 no money. <laughs> Uh, that's gone into the making of it. Um, uh, we want to try and uh, we have ambitions for what kind of release that we want to try and do for it, um, and we have a 
a time frame that we would like to try and make that happen in. But it, it, you know, it's difficult. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of fighting for screen space. There's an awful lot of um, very good, you know, independent docs out there that are, you know, all all trying to to get into the same um, distribution windows and streams and stuff and whatever as well. So we're just trying to take our time a little bit and work with these guys to try and get out there for as wide a release as we possibly can and try and get as many people as possible to see it because we are very aware that people have been waiting a long time and, and people have been following us online for a long time. And all the Kickstarter backers have been phenomenal in, in, in helping us get it done. Um, and at this stage, you know, I, I feel like a very pregnant woman who desperately wants to give birth. Um, you know, um, where we, you know, the, from the people who have seen the film, the reaction has been amazing. So, you know, we're very proud of of, of the finished film, and, and we do want people to see it as soon as possible. But we do want as many people to see it as soon as possible. So that's kind of what we're trying to work towards at the moment. But hopefully, it shouldn't be too much longer, and we're hoping to be in a position to say something more definite towards the end of this month. And uh, what is that uh, website where people can get info? Okay, uh, they can hit us up on showrunnersthemovie.com uh, to check out the trailer and sign up for our email newsletter. And then we're also on Twitter, which is at showrunnersfilm. And we're on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash showrunners. And we have delighted right. if people would come and follow us and check out um, and uh, keep up to date with what's happening. Because we, there's, a, there's a, a couple of cool little things that we've got planned as well to kind of drop out in the build-up to it, and a couple of things that we're trying to make happen that, as far as I'm aware, no one else has ever done in the build-up to a release to a film, which is which is making them tricky, but we're, we're trying very hard to pull them off. So, um, fingers crossed. <laughs> well, you've got you've got me excited to see it, and and <laughs> if for some reason I don't catch it, I'll just catch the uh, the Hollywood reboot in about ten years. <laughs> Showrunners, which, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, which I'm sure they'll handle with all the class and, and skill that they always do. Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, well, we'll see. I mean, I mean, I suppose on one hand, if if we were successful enough for them to actually want to do that, I I I, I would be happy enough on one level as well. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just we we hope that people you know really enjoy the film. It's. You know, we've always said it's kind of it's a film made by fans for fans. So, you know, I think people will enjoy it. If, if you're a TV fan of any degree, or you know, uh, if you're even remotely interested in in how television is made, I, I, I think people will find the film fascinating. So, well, um, sir, you like are say, clearly clearly a fan, and you, you speak <laughs> with that fan sincerity. And I, know. I I just must add that you are in the right country to make a to make a movie about making TV shows because we watch a lot of TV shows here and we watch a lot of movies here. So it, make, you know, it makes total sense to me. Yeah. 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 Th- thanks for coming over to America to do this for us. Because <laughs> we couldn't do it. Our own. No, well, we have thank, thank you for letting me come over. Um, and, and, you know, if, if I can take an opportunity as well to say thank you to, to everybody who participated in the film as well because, um, you know, it, it's kind of amazing. We, we drew up a kind of a wish list of people that we wanted to talk to, and we, and we got almost everybody on that list. And that's, you know, that's almost beyond my wildest dreams in some ways. And, and everybody was incredibly cool with us, which is also kind of mind-blowing. So um, th- thank you to everybody who took part in the film. 
Well, well, they are all on uh, tight schedules and deadlines looming, so I'm sure they didn't hear that. But on behalf of them, <laughs> I, want, I want to say you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome, Dad. Thank you. And we'd all do it again in our feet. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, we can uh, – it's showrunners.com. Is that right? Did I get that right? No, it's, show, it's showrunners. showrunners.com. Yeah. Showrunners.com. Uh, make sure that you take oh. a look at that. Follow them on the Facebook or on the Twitter. At, at showrunnersfilm. A little right. different than the website. Right. Mm-hmm. And be on the lookout for this film, which is, should be coming up pretty pretty darn quick. All right, Des. I think we've swallowed up enough of your uh, your long-distance dollars. <laughs> Again, our <laughs> for that. And thank you for being such a good sport, and thank you for making this movie. I'll, I'll be sure and call you and let you know if it's any good when I finally see it. Actually, but I'm excited I, so I, far. I'm, I'm going I'm to hold you to that. And, and, and thanks so much, guys, for letting me talk to you. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. I'm going to tempt my tummy, the taste of nuts and honey. It's the honey of an O, it's Honey Nut Cheerios. The Honey Nut Cheerios B. It's the taste of golden honey, with a crunch that's kind of nutty. It's the Honey of an O, it's Honey Nut Cheerios. Mmm, and it's a tasty part of this good, nutritious breakfast. Oh, it's the Honey of an O, oh, oh. it's Honey Nut Cheerios. That's a fascinating concept. It's, uh, you know, these, these these men and women are like the captains of the ship for these shows mm-hmm. that uh, are watched by millions. It's got to be a lot of pressure on them. Mm-hmm. But there are some, some big names to take that heat. I mean, uh, you know, like we mentioned, he, he talked to Joss Whedon, J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams, uh, Terrence Winter, Stephen Tonight, uh, Ronald Moore, Battlestar Galactica. That was that was huge. I mean, he he kind of broke a lot of molds for yeah. doing a do, doing a show on a cable network and making it better than a network show would have been. Right. You know, the, these are uh, these are very talented people. A cable, a basic cable, a basic cable which network was before Breaking Bad. It was before mm-hmm. uh, Breaking Bad. There's a there's another guy. There's a, yeah, Vince Gilligan. Vin, Vin, Vince uh, Gilligan. Vince yeah. Gilligan, who's become a pop culture star in his own right. Well, he actually cameos and, and stuff on other shows as as not himself. Right. And you know who he started with? We actually touched over a little bit on the interview, but he, he actually started with that's Chris true. Carter. Chris Carter. That's that's. You know, you can't really say he's the granddaddy of showrunners because shows have been run by people for long before he got mm-hmm. there. But I remember back in the 90s, he was one of the first ones where he, as a person, became associated with a show that he created, and he's not in it. We didn't know his face. Right. We just knew his name and that he was making an awesome show that was so different from everything else but so uh, consistent to itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, like he, I think he's basically the, he's he's like ground zero for the new era. Yeah, you he, know, he, where, he and X Files. Right. This is this is probably where television, where the showrunner became the celebrity. It wasn't yeah. just about the actors in there. Yeah, you exactly. Know, you know, it really. I mean, as much as we like Carl Reiner, and we have. We have those kind of images of the whole Dick Van Dyke show, even though probably none of us have really sat through many of them. You know? uh, well, but, speak for yourself. Well, yeah, that's true. I actually have seen some. I just but, don't remember them. Well. <laughs> yeah, well, we, you know, even though we all have fond respect for a Carl Reiner, uh, there was just a large gap of, there's been obviously a lot of television, a lot of showrunners, um, but it took Chris Carter to really kind of make that into, to bring it into the forefront. Yeah. 
Yeah, there were yeah. there were like I mentioned, there were a handful of of you know like Stephen Bochco with Ooh. Hill Street Blues okay. and stuff who people knew, and when he would come out with a new show. That would be advertised. The new show from Stephen Bochco. Stephen Bochco. Right. Stephen J. Cannell made A Team. So every time he also show, made like the the helicopter one, and he didn't he do yeah, like, like the Airwolf and yeah, yeah, all of those where you kind of knew what you were going to get out mm-hmm. of it. Uh, even up to like Dick Wolf with Law and Order, right. even though that's a very one track kind of <laughs> kind of show running. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nonetheless, I think it was when Chris Carter came out, and it was something very new and different with the X Files. And it caught on, and he became successful enough at Fox where he was just allowed to go off and do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was – I think, you know, he's definitely – he's the first name that I think of. If someone says showrunner, I think Chris Carter. And he he was also very careful. And I, I'm, I'm not sure what, what the other guys have done, um, but a lot of himself was in X-Files. Uh, the number – shows up often in the X-Files. It's like on doors, it's on addresses, it's, you know, and all this, and then I guess it's like his lucky number. Um, the actual name, Dana Scully, you know, Scully, uh, he actually picked that out because of um, Vince Scully, who... Yeah, the, the Dodgers. The Dodgers announcer, and him. he grew up in L.A., and he was a big Dodger fan, you know, like, so, you know, he really just kind of tagged himself so much. He made himself and his you know, passions and stuff, a part of the show. He really put that in there. And, you know, again, I have no idea if the ones before or since have done it to that level, but I do remember that being a part of the narrative. You know, when I would buy the VHS tapes, you know, it was like a, it was a pack of four, you know, and I would watch the same, like, I think each one had like three episodes. And I would watch the same three episodes of the X-Files all summer until the next, you know, there was no DVR then, you know. And I would watch the same one. And then they would have like a little, you know, behind the scenes little section or whatever. Yeah. yeah, And, you know, he was there, you know. It was the first time that we saw the showrunner. And he became a part of the show in the forefront. You know, and so we would learn about what kind of fed into this particular storyline and why he did it, you know, and he's just all over the place. And, um, you know, going from, from him, then you get into, you know, uh, uh, Joss Whedon and, you know, you have to look at where these guys, uh, you have to tip your hat to where they started. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were showrunners, but these guys, you know, are basically running Hollywood now. Yeah. In, in, in a lot of ways, they're not the money men, but they've got everything else. Yeah, and now we're in a culture where, it, on television at least, the money men are letting the showrunners have more power. Right. I think I don't work in the system, but that's kind of what I get. They realize that uh, beyond just having star power, you know, on screen in your show, if you've got the right names uh, right behind the scenes, mm-hmm. that can sell it just as well. Well, we're a I, big nerdy culture now. Yeah, and I, I could say just, you know, the, this is my personal experience is that the only reason why I hung with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was because Josh Whedon was tied to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you like go. it started off, you know, it was really hard to kind of take at the beginning, uh, but it got really good at the end, you know. And if it wasn't for this whole universe that, you know, and uh, my – the. A tip of the hat goes to the Marvel people and, and to the Disney people, you know, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. Well, you know, but but really, it's, you know, Josh Whedon made the Avengers work beyond expectations. That movie was fantastic. Yeah. You know? And he did. And it's not like 
just like Chris Carter didn't write every word. No. Didn't come up with every scene mm-hmm. in the X-Files. He had a team of talented writers that he picked out and he managed them. Right. right. And they came up with everything under his direction, yeah. which is the way to do it because one man alone is not going to make the Avengers. It, yeah. Absolutely. Without Joss Whedon, we Absolutely. wouldn't have had that movie, not by a long stretch, I don't think. Right, so, and, and now it, you know, it like, it basically goes from, you know, really behind the scenes, below the line, I think is what the term is. You know, you have the the stars and, and all that are above the line, and then the producers and such, the showrunners are below the line. Um, but now with what I believe was, you know, started with Chris Carter, and as continued on to Josh Whedon and what he's been able to to uh, do and you know the passions that he brings out for Firefly fans out there mm-hmm. and for your Buffy fans for Buffy Angel, Angel fans. fans I mean he's done a lot even Dollhouse to a certain degree um he was able to to take that into the realm of motion pictures where he's really on top of the world now t- now let's just look really really quickly at JJ Abrams Abrams <laughs> Abrams He's in charge. Well, he started off with Alias and Lost, right? He was the showrunner for those for those shows. Yep. Um, they entrust him with Star Trek, which mm-hmm. I'm not a big Star Trek fan, but I love those movies. Maybe that's why I like the movie so much. You know? well, it could help. I mean, yeah. definitely there was some talent behind it. And he is in charge of probably going to reclaim the biggest, you know, property in film yeah. it's, it's he's, in he's his doing hands. the new little rascals reboot he, right yeah it's the new brady bunch movie <laughs> uh, but no yeah he he yeah. gets to do star wars you yep. know a showrunner now has star yep. wars yep right i mean and it's this is this has evolved yeah and you can see it going i think as we talked about with des you see it going both directions you even have people who are just sick of the the movie you know, uh, system. Mm-hmm. You got your Jane Campions and your David Finchers yeah, and Finch. and everybody making now good quality shows because they they've they've got the clout. They yeah. can go to the money people, and now they see that this is this has now been allowed. You can make a long running television show that is entertaining and that can tell a deeper story than you're ever going to do in two two and a half hours on screen. Where does Michael Bay fit in all this? Uh, Michael Bay is. I think he does. He has done some show running. Yeah. I feel like he is. Um, even if it's not full on show running, producing. They use his name to sell shows. Absolutely. More than I think he actually Spielberg, produces them. I think they do the Much same thing. The same way he does his own movies. I think. What about with uh, Spielberg? Yeah. Spielberg. Yeah. You know he's not sitting down and 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 figuring out all the minutia on uh, Falling Sky. Right. That's somebody else is doing that show running, uh-huh. but they're going to throw his name up yeah. there every every episode. Uh, what's the fellow's name that did uh, Miami Vice? Oh, Michael Mann. My, Michael Mann. Now that's mm-hmm. another guy that took it in a film. That's true. Yeah, that's well, true. To some success. Yeah, I'd say he did better with Heat, but it was yeah. the same kind of idea yeah. that uh, Miami Vice in the '80s on TV was going for. And there's a good example of a show that was just so heavy. I'm assuming there are so many network notes every episode. This was becoming a huge show, and NBC did not want it to just run away and become like a a serious crime drama. They didn't want to see an alligator alligator eating someone 
every episode. They wanted to have Phil Collins play play a drug dealing villain <laughs> totally to boost some ratings during <laughs> Sweeps Week. So I'm sure there was much more interference on Michael Mann's Miami Vice than showrunners today would get. Yeah. The overall theme here is that these guys have they have always been around, and we thank them for this. Yeah. You know, and they are becoming just they're just starting to take over these things, and it's this uh, skill set that they uh, that they acquire. Yeah, uh, as yeah. They start runner. out as as, right. as interns somewhere. They start writing, you know, small parts mm-hmm. for shows. They move up to the big chairs in the writer room, and eventually, you know, they hopefully they don't become the showrunner for that show. Mm-hmm. That that's when that happens, such as it recently did for Community, when the network kicked Dan Harmon off. Uh, and then they had what even within the show is referred to as the gas leak year and for season four. Uh, why is that? Uh, it was it was a shell of the actual community show. But why is it gas leak? Because it stunk. Yeah. Well, because it because, like rotten eggs. Well, because the next season, the for the fifth season, the network uh, caved and brought Dan Harmon back, uh-huh. and uh, now his baby had you know thirteen episodes of just bad plot lines to clean up. To clean up, <laughs> and so every time they would run into that problem in the fifth season, they would say, "Well, that was the gas leak here. That's why we were doing stuff that made no sense and seemed kind of dumb and just <laughs> off-putting." Even though there were some decent episodes, the characters still seemed pretty consistent throughout, but it was missing some magic touch, which, you know, nobody did wrong on the show without Dan Harmon, but the show just wasn't right without him. And then they brought him back, and it immediately became community again. Uh, in fact, from that show, now, I'm not saying that uh, that this person became the showrunner in the fourth season. I don't even want to get into who that was. No point in pointing fingers here. Uh-huh. It's, but it's all over anyway. One of the original writers working under uh, Dan Harmon for the show community, very funny, very talented woman by the name of Hillary Winston. Oh, yeah. Now a showrunner in her own right. That's right. Uh, popular author. Popular author. Funny gal. Oh, very funny mm-hmm. gal. Mm-hmm. Very serious about the funny business. That's, that's what I like. It's <laughs> what I like in a showrunner. Serious about the funny business. Mm-hmm. She uh, she's doing uh, Bad Teacher over at CBS. Uh, just uh, just came out. I like it. She pitched it. Uh, it's it's based on a movie, which I never immediately hold any show. You know, you know, I I, I don't hold that fact against it. Me neither. Uh, luckily, though, the movie's good. This actually was I kind of I like the movie Bad uh-huh, Teacher uh-huh, with uh-huh. Cameron Diaz, uh, and she you know she wasn't slavish to the original source material, but she respected it. She found that good balance. Uh, it's it's something worth watching, and it's something to keep an eye on because she does have talent. In fact, you know what, Marky? I remember you and I talked to her. Uh, actually, I wasn't there. Oh, you missed out. Buddy. I know, I know. I have heard it though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she's a very very smart lady. She is. She is. Let's let's listen to her. She's going to tell us about what it takes to be a showrunner. Because we don't run shows, and I'm guessing neither do you. Nope, not at all. All right, let's take it away, Grim Shay and Hillary Winston. Meanwhile. Hey, everybody, thanks for joining us. Grim Shay here, and joining me is Hillary Winston, producer and writer on some of the best comedies in recent years, uh, including My Name is Earl. Uh, probably the best comedy ever, Community. I'm a big Community fan. Sorry. Thank you, by the way, Hillary. Me, me too. Me too. <laughs> That's convenient. 
Uh, she is now about to become uh, the big-time head honcho showrunner for uh, the small-screen adaptation for Bad Teacher, uh, the uh, recent movie with Cameron Diaz. Uh, Hillary, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. I want to say I've seen Bad Teacher, the movie, a couple of times. I really get a kick out of it. And okay. when I heard that they were going to do a show, I was... I, I wasn't sure if you were going to be able to, you know, do, you know, you know, it, the movie is so dark. I love it, but, you know, it is yeah. dark. Uh, I uh, just happened to catch dark. it. It's so good, though. I just, I just saw the first, uh, the pilot, uh, which premieres tomorrow, April 24th, and I love it. You, you did it. You nailed it. Oh, thank you so much. You know, it was, you know, it really was a challenge. I was a fan of the movie, too. And you take somebody like Cameron Diaz and you think, how do you reinvent this for TV? And, uh, you know, and I, and I think the answer was is that we had to let the movie be what it, what it was. And, you know, they're doing a sequel to that, luckily. Um, that should be great. And so I was like, you know, let's take this concept and see what we can do with it. And certainly making a network comedy out of that concept is a different challenge than making a 90-minute rated R movie. Yeah, it, it is. But you, you still have that kind of... It's it's not as dark, but it doesn't hold back. You know, risque isn't even a strong enough word for it, but it 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 works on all cylinders. And you got a great cast in there. The cast is so incredible, and they're just you know they're the kind of cast where there's really not a bad pairing. You know, it was so exciting to like when you were writing a scene with David Allen Greer and Kristen Davis, or you know Kristen Davis and Sarah Gilbert. You know, you just thought like, wow, this is just you know, pretty amazing and what they all brought to the table and from such different kind of worlds of comedy, uh, which was really fun, too, to see somebody from Sex and the City kind of meshing with somebody who, you know, we all know from In Living Color, you know, yeah. uh, you know, to Roseanne, to Ryan Hansen from Party Down. You know, it was just such a great kind of jumble of awesome comedians. And the way it works without... Uh... Well, I shouldn't say without Cameron Diaz, because I noticed in the credits uh, she is a producer. Yeah, she is a producer. You know, she really loved the pilot and wanted to be a part of it. She's really busy and stuff, but she, you know, read scripts, and, you know, she was very happy with the direction of it. And I think what's nice is because we didn't try to resurrect Elizabeth Olsey from the movie because we went in a different direction. She can have her version of Bad Teacher and Ari Grainer can have her version. And I think that that, you know, makes it really great for both actresses who are so good in such different ways. Did, uh, did, did Cameron Diaz ever go down to the set and uh, give Ari, you know, like uh, bitch lessons or anything? <laughs> um, she didn't, but I think it was probably due to the fact that she was off somewhere fabulous being an awesome movie <laughs> oh well that's that's no excuse that's no excuse i and i didn't i i wasn't aware they were actually making a sequel to uh to to the film yeah they um they are so i mean i think that you know they hired somebody to do a script and i don't know where it is in the development process but you know what's kind of nice is that this really proved them up to do whatever they wanted with that franchise and just take kind of this concept. And, you know, CBS was really interested in just this concept. You know, it's, it's so clear. It's such a clear title. And I think that we can all relate to having had a bad teacher, uh, maybe not as hot as Ari Grainer, but um, still a, a bad teacher. And so I think that it's just kind of like this universal concept that could, you know, could be in another version too. 
Well, she. Uh, she the video game. I don't know what all weather format we would use, but. <laughs> if 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 there's a dime to be made, they'll find a way to do it. Don't worry about that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> well, you um, you're also well known for uh, as an author for uh, my boyfriend wrote a book about me, which is the title of your book. For those who don't yes. know, did any of that kind of experience color the way you do this show? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think that Meredith Davis, um, who already plays in the TV show, um, is, is definitely kind of the fantasy version that every woman has of herself of how she wishes that she could talk to men or how she wishes she could get herself out of situations. So certainly in my book, when I was experiencing just really terrible, um, embarrassing dating situations, like my story called The Accidental Handjob, you know, you kind of <laughs> wish that you had this kind of inner just kind of bitchy, overly confident woman who just acts without thinking in the best way. And so I think that I really channeled, you know, that part of me that I just wished that I was in those moments into uh, Ari's character. Oh, all right. Well, well, here's a little showrunner test then. Uh, if you can just, uh, you know, get, get Meredith and this guy who, uh, who shall remain nameless uh, into yeah. a room together. <laughs> What would she say to him? How would she handle that as a scene on the show? You know, I think that, you know, what's so great about Meredith is she is so honest and blunt and says everything how it is. There's just nothing left on the table. And so, like, in these awful, like, kind of dating situations where everybody tries to be so cool and not weird and, you know, awkward and, you know, I think that she would just kind of call it like she saw it and just, you know, in that situation where it kind of just be like, are we going to have sex or are we not having sex or what's happening here? Like, I'm a hot girl. Like, you know, you'd be wanting to have sex with me. Like, things like that that, you know, I think that we all just don't say because we're kind of trying to be polite in the situation and we're not thinking. And, you know, we're thinking about the consequences the next day when, you know, your friend that set you up asked you how the date went and, you know, all of that, and I just think Meredith is able to just act without worrying about any consequences. <laughs> Are you, now that you've uh, been, uh, you know, so invested in making the show, do you find yourself going to a Meredith persona ever, just just out in public? <laughs> um, I don't, uh, and I certainly don't think that my husband would appreciate that, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it really is fun to lose yourself in writing a character that just kind of has like a reptilian brain that just is, you know, her motives are so on the surface, and I think that especially in Hollywood on a day-to-day basis, you're really dealing with people who are, you know, spending their whole day trying to hide their motives. And so that is really refreshing and was super fun to get into that mindset to write. It seems like you're having a blast uh, through through the show itself. And again, for everyone listening, this premieres uh, Thursday, the 24th of April on CBS. Uh, and how many episodes in are you, like as, as producing it? We, we, the public, have yet to actually technically see it. But how far along are you in this? How many years invested have you got? So I guess I pitched it to CBS about a year and a half ago, and we shot 13 episodes, and we finished in December. And so it's been, you know, a lot of a lot of time invested in this, and I'm really excited for people to, 
you know, get to see the pilot and get to see what's coming after that. Because, you know, as we know, and, you know, CBS doesn't want me to say this, is pilots are usually, you know, the weakest episode of the show. You know, there's a lot that goes into a pilot. There are lots of notes. You're trying to achieve so much storytelling in a very short amount of time. And I love our pilot, but, I mean, the show, the show gets a lot better. And I feel like Community, which – you know, I wrote on for two years, but um, also I'm a huge fan of with the same way. You know, you really in an ensemble, especially with an unlikable character at the center, you know, who, like, it takes, takes some getting used to, you know, it just needs a little time to grow. And I just, I can't wait for people to see where the show goes. I am excited. I uh, just, just prior to this, uh, we, I, we were finally able to finagle me a, a, a press look at the first three episodes, and I just had time to finish the pilot so far. So as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go knock out the other ones because I am Great. excited to see that. There's so much packed into that pilot, but it's still entertaining, and you're right. Some shows, even Community, huge Community fan, but I think it, was, it wasn't until the fourth or fifth episode when I really started to grasp what that show was. Yeah. Because there's so much going on. There's so much going on. And even as a writing staff, I think it wasn't until that episode. You know, I wrote, I think, the third or fourth episode of the first season called Football, Feminism, and You. And, you know, when we were breaking that episode, it was a Brita episode, a Brita B story, where she's kind of talking, you know, everybody decides she's really bad to go to the bathroom with. Like, Shirley doesn't want to invite her to go to the bathroom because she doesn't know how to hang out with other women. And, you know, it really was, uh, you know, one of those episodes when we were breaking it where we started to relax and feel like we were discovering who the characters were rather than trying to tell the characters who they were. And, you know, I think in every show and an ensemble, you know, that kind of happens, and it definitely happened in Bad Teacher, too. Oh, well, I, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the show as it is, but I look forward to, uh, to watching it mature that way. And, uh, and for the record... Yeah, football feminism and you. That that was the episode that got it for me. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> it was, I'm glad. I'm glad you weren't just like, oh, that was my least favorite episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. On it, on it. I do remember that one. Uh, well, you know, thanks to Netflix and Hulu and stuff, it's so easy to go back yeah. and watch them all. Uh, and and you created something I think timeless there. And it looks like as long as CBS gives you the chance, you're going to do the same thing here with Bad Teacher. I hope so. Thank you so much. And um, just a reminder, it's on at 9.30, 8.30 Central. 9.30, Central. Oh, that's, oh that, what a tough spot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what? It's like if you're going to get a shot, at least on the highest rated night of comedy, is your best chance. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how we do. Our, our lone single camera in a sea of multicam. Well, I'll be there. I, I okay, promise great. you that. We're going to. We'll rally the troops, and we're going to keep this going. Yes, if you like the movie, you're going to like the TV show. And if you just like funny TV, you're going to like the TV show. So thank you so much for joining us, Hillary. I know you've got a busy day. Uh, good luck with this. I really hope to talk to you again sometime when we're you know, on season three or four or something down the road. Me, me too. Thank you so much. Introducing the new talking oh, oh. cereal. Oh, uh, how's this? No, 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 no. What are you guys talking about? The sound marshmallows make in our new Marshmallow Crispy Cereal. You can't go snap, crackle, pop. Marshmallow. Kellogg's Marshmallow Krispies is part of this complete breakfast. Do you like them? Mm. That's the sound. Mm. It's time to put snap, crackle, pop. Mm. It's your morning. Hillary Winston, everybody. Mm-hmm.
very funny book that she wrote, by the way, uh, called yeah. My Ex My uh, Ex Boyfriend Wrote a Book About Me. Yeah, yeah, and it was really. Uh, I actually I read some of. Uh, I guess it's a in, insert excerpt. An excerpt. That's yeah. what I read. <laughs> yeah, I read an excerpt. Uh, she. Yeah, it's um, it's very revealing and just very honest and very funny. You know, this those are and, and those are make good qualities for doing yeah. a show like Bad Teacher. I think I I really like the movie uh, and I really enjoyed the show. Yeah, I've been enjoying it, but we heard some bad news. Oh, that's true. As as will happen early on in in many series lives, CBS lost faith in it immediately yeah. and canceled it. Uh, which how could it possibly give it enough time? It's been on for I think four or five weeks. Yeah, it's been on the air for about a for about a month before the cast is excellent. Maybe three episodes in, and they were all good episodes. Ari Grainer, I think, is her name. Uh, she's the the she's the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Funny, can. gorgeous timing is perfect. Um, they they um, they have the uh, Sarah Gilbert from Roseanne fame. Mm-hmm. Um, they have uh, David Allen Greer. David Allen Greer. David Allen Greer. You never get enough of that guy. Um, the girl from. Uh, Oh, the the Sex in the City, the Sex in the City, Christian uh, something, Charlotte, Charlotte. Uh, yeah, but yeah, well, you know, this this is a great, this is a, uh, it's a funny it's, show and all this stuff, and they're gonna they're gonna pull it from me already. Of course, this this is just the network. Maybe it'll mm-hmm. maybe it'll roll downhill and end up on uh, Comedy Central or something. We can cross our fingers. Hopefully, they are behind closed doors making these details into a reality as we speak. But you know, let let's just say this, Josh Whedon has had pretty much three times as many shows canceled than he's had successes. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't stop this and guy. Definitely, yeah. 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 You know, like it's uh, this, this, this should not stop Hillary Winston. She's going to go on to do some really, really great things. I think the best, the best work Joss Whedon ever did was on uh, Firefly. And that lasted for what, 13 episodes. If that. Yeah. So, so, so take heed, take heed, Hillary Winston. If you're listening, yeah. I'm still a fan. Me too. I'm going to watch whatever you are running next. Exactly. And uh, you know, you know what? I bet the uh, the hardest thing for showrunners, such as such as Hillary Winston, or or all the the numerous talented men and women that were uh, covered in the showrunners documentary, is Mark. Mm-hmm. I, I think the hardest thing is just uh, trying to come up with an ending. Oh, this is enough of this.